Friends, let's proclaim some good news together this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, my name is John. I'm part of our College of Preachers here at the table, a group of folks learning to proclaim good news as we all learn to proclaim good news together. We continue on this morning into our series for Advent and Christmas Tide that we're calling A Weary World Rejoices out of the hymn, A Holy Night. Uh, and in Advent specifically, we hold on a little bit more to that weary world as we anticipate Christmas and as we look forward to it. So each week we've been grabbing a line or two out of that song as a way to title our sermon and give us a little direction towards uh, what's going on. And uh, The lines this week are, Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. We see this in our Isaiah text pretty much right off the top, really clearly as Isaiah comes to proclaim the year of the Lord. This reference to a year of Jubilee, uh, an Israelite idea of every 50 years where slaves are set free, debts are wiped away, property is restored, the righteousness of the Lord is set, it's proclaimed, it's clear, the year of Jubilee. Uh, this Jubilee is announced in Isaiah as to, in a way, comfort those who mourn, to provide for those who grieve. The announcement of it is to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners. And then it gets characterized here in Isaiah, this living out, this year of jubilee present, this day of the Lord, gets characterized as the rebuilding of ruins and images of growth out of the soil, when it says the garden causes what is sown, as the garden causes what is sown to grow up, so the Lord will call the righteousness and praise to spring up. This is a beautiful picture, but within that, we need to name a few things. It's beautiful and hopeful, but being written to a people that are oppressed and exiled. It's written as a hope. It's written as a thing that could come in the future. It's proclaiming it as prophecy. Uh, and even when they got out of this exile, they just found themselves, as Matt talked about last week, in the promised land, still under occupation from the Roman rule still oppressed. There's little evidence, actually, that this year of Jubilee ever happened. There's a million things we can talk about that. There's a ton of the practicalness of it. Uh, but what I want to suggest a little bit today to us is I think part of why that never happened is because it would be stupid hard to make it happen. Uh, <laughs> what it actually takes, the images that it talks about with rebuilding ancient ruins and farming is actually really hard, gross, dirty work that takes a lot from us and asks a lot from us. We want the final product, the thing that is beautiful, but the actual work to get there is a ton of work. As a kind of example of this, back in uh, a few years ago when we bought our house that is a hundred plus year old house and we spent a little over a year remodeling it ourselves, uh, we laugh because when people, you know, used to come to our houses, you remember when people came to our houses and did things like that, they would come and they would comment on the decorations and the paint and this looks beautiful. Nobody ever complimented me on the fact that our toilets flushed well or that the lights worked or, man, your house stays warm. You must have spent a ton of time insulating. And I did. And this, friends, is what that looks like. That work to insulate and keep my family and you when you visit me warm, has me looking like this. 
covered in grime, dirt, really, really gross. This is the work it takes, I think, to have Jubilee work in the same way. It takes gross, dirty work. And what you don't get to see in this picture, I'm laughing, it's because there's somebody else helping me do insulation. Somebody has to feed the hopper and you do the other work and it's a two person job. I had help that day and the next day I had one more day of this rental and I needed to get a ton done and the help that I had lined up didn't come. And so I chose to just try and do it on my own. And what you miss is me sitting in a corner of my house. I'm a crybaby anyways, y'all. You just have to understand, like I just am sitting in a corner of my house by myself because I can't do it. And this work is hard and it was grueling and it was all these things. And that's just blowing in insulation. It's not to mention the work of Jubilee. It's not to mention the work that something like this would take. Sorry, Zoom, notes, computers are weird. All right, so now we're back to it. Uh, and if you think about it, we know this a little bit intuitively in our world today, that this kind of Jubilee would take work because you've heard some of these ideas in the news cycle recently. And when we hear them, we go, how in the world will we ever get there? In the recent news cycle, it looks a lot like how do we have meaningful reparations for the indigenous people in the US? What does it look like to reconfigure a justice system that systematically oppresses people of color? How do we do anything about the supply chains that fuel our Christmas cheer and take advantage of the poor all along the way? You know, just small conversations like that. The reality is, is that for these things to happen in any sort of meaningful way, it takes a tremendous amount of work, conversation, and for those of us who cry easy, like me, tears. And if you're anything like me right now, uh, to have another one of these conversations just makes me feel incredibly weary. I'm exhausted. I believe that the slave is my brother, but to have one more conversation around race and color right now feels daunting. And imagine how it feels for those that don't have a choice to not have the conversation. To have another COVID conversation with family around holidays and how we protect the vulnerable feels momentous. I want oppression to cease, but during the season, I've had a really hard time believing that my tears and the work that I would do would mean anything. Are they participating in any good? Because it still seems dark and dirty and overwhelming. Do you feel this too, church? This weariness? the weight of the work of a hoped for jubilee that doesn't seem to be happening as quickly or as easy as we would hope. It is in this church that we get the end of our psalm reading and we find some good news. The psalm starts as claiming this future hope that Zion is restored and finishes with this prayer of hope. This is Advent, a known future that we pray to believe in here and now as well. In the psalm, it finishes, may those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Love the way the song that Joel played for us says it too, is although we are weeping, Lord, help us keep sowing. Church, hear this good news today. Your tears in the wilderness are known and they're being received by our Father is and will always bind up your broken heart. You can lay down your privilege, knowing that the one who has called you is faithful. And we'll get to the privilege part here in a moment. 
I want to name here that these texts are all being written to an oppressed people. So in this good news that those who sow in tears through forced labor, oppression, and slavery are promised in the person of Jesus, that the year of Jubilee has come and will come even more fully. This is good news that the righteousness will spring up out of the ground and those who wept will reap with shouts of joy because the God of all has come incarnate. And this is great news. But uh, you can probably tell by just looking at me, I'm not one of those who are oppressed in the world today. And many of us aren't. But I think we find ourselves a bit more examples of how to respond to this text in the text of John the Baptist in our gospel passage today and in who Paul is when he writes his letter to the Thessalonians. John the Baptist and Paul both had access to religious, societal, and economic privilege. In a world where the religious elite had bedded themselves with the Roman government at great material gain, they each in their own way could have chosen to cash in on that opportunity. John, the son of a priest, and Paul as someone who was already well on his way up in the religious elite. But they both chose differently. John chose to become the voice in the wilderness, announcing that the light is coming. And as Matt talked about last week, this wilderness, this wildernessing was chosen as an intentional, prophetic, and challenging act. Paul chose to answer Jesus in turn from being the prosecutor of the oppressed to joining those who are persecuted. These are two men that with access and experience to privilege chose to divest themselves into the actual work of Jubilee being pronounced here in Isaiah. The same Jubilee that Jesus announces at the beginning of his ministry via the Gospel of Luke quoting this exact scripture. Jesus announces that Jubilee has not come as a one-off year every 50 years, but has come as a present kingdom. So then John and Paul both chose to divest themselves of their privilege to join into God's kingdom of Jubilee and the work of restoring and sowing that it entails. And they did so at great cost. They chose to give up their privilege to proclaim and trust the good news today. But our tears in the wilderness are known and are being received by our Father who is and will always bind up our broken hearts. We can lay down our privilege knowing that the one who has called you is faithful. We do this because it is what Jesus did in the incarnation, in the example that he calls us to. Jesus chose to reveal God's self to us as one with us in full flesh. Jesus showed us that the love, that love is to join in the work of Jubilee by choosing to jump into the mess of rebuilding and sowing with us in the flesh. When Paul says that the one who has called us is faithful, we know this to be true because it is the picture of the incarnate Jesus. That is the one who is faithful. So then we are invited to follow into the path church of John and of Paul and of Christ. And we choose not our privilege, but our togetherness. We choose our flesh. We proclaim that the slave is our brother and sister, so we choose to enter into the work with a spade and tears, knowing that the tears in the wilderness are known and are being received by our Father, knowing that all oppression shall cease when righteousness and praise spring up from the Lord. Our weary world holds on to the hope of Advent. The kingdom of Jubilee has been proclaimed, and as we rebuild and sow through tears, the faithful one who called us is binding our broken hearts, all the while restoring all things. And if I could be allowed one last poetic note, friends, 
this week, and the lectionary writers have this week focusing on repentance. And this is what John is proclaiming in his passage. And he says, make straight the way of the Lord. Peter, or Paul talks about this when he's saying, prepare, get ready for the return. There's this focus on that this week. Church, I proclaim to you today that when we lay down our privilege to engage the work of rebuilding and sowing, when we cake our faces with the mud and the grime of the work, we will shed tears, mourning the brokenness of it all and of our broken hearts amidst it. And the straight path is revealed to us as our tears make their way through the grime on our face. The tears are the waters of repentance embodied in our actions and participation. It is not easy work, but the one who has called us is faithful and will bind up our broken hearts. There's a few different areas that I feel that feel this, and I'm trying to continue to practice this good news in my life right now. Uh, and the first, as I'm sure many of you, is around stinking COVID conversations and our families and friends and church about how do we handle this responsibly and well during Christmas? How do we care for the least of these and the oppressed and not just assume that we're the exception, we're the exempt ones? Uh, and again, back to the being a crybaby thing, legitimately had my wife and I in tears on our bed one afternoon, in the middle of the afternoon this week, of just how do we keep having these conversations and pushing in? How do we do this? But we keep going, trust that God is faithful at least for now. I may quit next week, I'll let you guys know. The second is uh, I, part of what I do vocationally is I'm a support-based missionary. I've raised funds in order to be a missionary in our city. Uh, and I also help coach and train people that do that. And as an organization, uh, we are realizing that uh, when people of color or people of different economic backgrounds have said to us, this doesn't work for us, we've essentially said to them, just keep going. It'll be fine, push in. Uh, and it's causing some repentance on our organization's part and it's causing some learning and it's causing some, hey, we were wrong here. There's a ton of privilege we assumed in this because we are a bunch of white people of privilege. Uh, will you teach us? And we're trying to learn this right now and it's not easy and uh, it's going well, but not going easy. So. Those are the places I'm practicing that this week, this week, this month, this year. Um, as a church, I think one of the ways that we can respond to this is by essentially what we've been doing through our Sermon on the Mount series. I think what we're doing a little bit today is what Paul encouraging, encourages those in his letter to the Thessalonians. We prophesy. We prophetically proclaim that which is true about the kingdom of God as the people of God. And then we test it. Part of how we test it is we discern it together. But part of how we test it is we actually continue to live it. We continue to dig, we continue to push into it. We continue to live as if that is true. We prophetically proclaim the good news of a kingdom here and we live as if it's true. And I think we continue to do that as a church together. And lastly, I think there's a chance we have to respond today here in just a few moments. And that is when we make Eucharist together, when we partake of the flesh of Jesus with all of our brothers and sisters here, 
especially as many of us will participate in spiritual communion and we profess that we are doing this with our brothers and sisters all around the world today, and especially as we participate in the Kenyan rite. We partake of the flesh of Jesus. We partake in this embodiment together. And in our Kenyan rite, we will say these words today as a part of this. We are brothers and sisters through his blood. We have died together. We will rise together. We will live together. Church, your tears in the wilderness are known and are being received by our Father, who is and will always bind up your broken heart. You can lay down your privilege, knowing that the one who has called you is faithful. Amen.